Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Glad that you're here with us as we uh, look into God's Word and try to discern what God would say to us today. Would you please join me as I pray? Lord Jesus, may we be open to what your Spirit would say to us today. May you take the words that I've prepared, the thoughts that I think you've put into my head today, may you take those, Lord, and apply them to each of our individual lives. Lord, we come with a lot of different kinds of pressures today, a lot of things that are occupying our thoughts, a lot of ways, Lord, that we really need your word to speak to us. And so we ask, Lord, that you just clear away all the fog and all the distractions. Help us to really hear your spirit today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the middle of a message series on pressure and how we as followers of Christ can become more effective in dealing with this uh, pressure-packed world that we live in. And the number one comment I hear about all this pressure, I mean, where we feel it is this, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. There's too much to do and there's too little time to do it in. I just can't get it all done. And so we scurry madly from one thing to another like a squirrel caught in the middle of the road. We kind of are frazzled, we're out of breath, exhausted, distracted, energy depleted, feeling like we're always behind, they're always making excuses, frustrated. And at night as we look back over the day, it's just kind of this blur of activity. Is that what life is supposed to be? Is that the kind of life God really wants us to live? What do you, what do you really think about the way you're living right now? I don't have enough time. That might not sound like a very relevant topic for you know, a message in church, but when you think about it, so much of our daily life consists of our struggles uh, with or against the clock time. I mean, that's what we say we never have enough of, and so we cut our prayers short. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to serve in a ministry. I don't have time to join a small group. I don't have time to reach out to that new neighbor. It's why we're always late for school, for appointments, late for the train, and dare I say, late for church. How much of your daily stress has to do with time or the perceived lack of time. Well, today's topic is on living a balanced life. And at first glance, you might think that that's about how to find balance between, you know, home and work or home and school or just how to manage all the different activities of your life. But before we can even get to any of those things, we really have to look at this whole issue of time. All that other stuff is really just a symptom of a deeper problem. We've got to get to the root issue, which is this. We don't really understand time. What is it? How to use it? How we tame it? How we can turn time into a friend rather than our foe? And there are two overriding biblical principles that I want you to remember today. They're not what you really want to hear. You may not like them. You may find all kinds of excuses and arguments about why they don't apply to you or why your situation is unique. But here are two overriding biblical principles. First of all, there is time to do everything God wants you to do. There is time to do everything God wants you to do. Not necessarily everything everybody else wants you to do or even yourself, but there is time to do everything 
God wants you to do. King Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time for everything. There's time to do everything God wants you to do, but not necessarily everything everybody else wants you to do. You see, one of the main points I want to make in this series on pressure is that I don't believe God wants us to live in this unrealistic, kind of panic-filled, stressed-out way. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And it's literally killing us through the stress-induced illnesses and the emotional distress and the way it contributes to the breakdown of relationships. So if there's time to do everything God wants you to do, we recognize there is a problem. How do you discern what that is? How do you discern what it is God wants you to do? How do you filter it all out? How do you sift through all the hundreds of things that are kind of nibbling at your ankles, nibbling at your time to find out what it is God really wants for you to do? And that leads to the second life principle. Time management is really self-management. Self-management. And that hurts. Our problems with time really stem from what's going on inside each one of us. Our compulsions, our disorganization, our drivenness, our problems with procrastination or or laziness, our tendency to, to overcommit, our habit of piling one thing on top of another. To get serious about time, we have to look at ourselves and the lifestyle that we've developed. Two weeks ago, I talked about the importance of following God's rhythm for our lives, of activity and recovery. And if you didn't hear that message, I hope you'll go back to the website and and download it or take uh, take time to listen to it, because that's absolutely critical for a healthy life. But this morning, I want to take that sense of activity and recovery one step forward. You see, I'm kind of a time management junkie, I'll admit it. The importance of time was just drilled into me when I was growing up. I don't know if it was some kind of a Midwestern, middle-class, Protestant work ethic value, but I come from a highly organized family. We live by Vince Lombardi time. You know what that is, anybody? Vince Lombardi time. You know, he was the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers football team when it dominated the NFL. His players knew that there were two kinds of time. There was regular time and there was Vince Lombardi time. Regular time was the way most people lived. Lombardi time was always 15 minutes earlier. So if a team meeting was scheduled to begin at 8 o'clock, they knew that they had to be there at 7.45 or else. Vince Lombardi believed that being on time and ready to go was one of the things that separated winners from the rest of the pack. And friends, that's the way my family lived. We were never, ever late for anything. Now, I look at my family history now, and I realize that, for most part, was a positive thing. My brother, my older brother and my older sister are like the only people I know who are more time-focused than I am. And being conscious of the importance of time has helped them to be highly successful in their chosen professions. My brother is the managing partner of a national law firm. My sister is a senior vice president of a major corporation. Now, all three of us have learned to relax just a little bit over the time and not be so obsessed about time. But I've learned that I need to be a little bit more spontaneous, and I'm still learning about that. But the fact of the matter is, things go better in your life when you manage your time well. 
things go better. Early on in my professional life in the ministry, I knew I had to be good at managing my time. In my kind of work, there's nobody looking over my shoulder telling me what to do each day, especially in the early years where a lot of what I was doing was starting ministries from scratch. The work was always self-generated, entrepreneurial kind of stuff where I had to organize my time or fail. That's really the only two choices. So I went at it with a passion, sort of the Bible in one hand and a copy of Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in the other. I mean, literally, I really memorized both of those books. It really shaped my early life. And I did all the time management seminars, Charles Hobbs' Time Power, the daytime or four-dimensional time management system, Ken Blanchard's The One-Minute Manager, and all the others. Now, I have mellowed over time. But I'm still addicted to this time management stuff because it gives my life a sense of freedom. Of freedom. Because it means I can take 100% responsibility for managing my time. I don't have anybody else to blame. It's on me. So I have to take the initiative. I have to decide every day where to invest my energies, how much time to give to various projects or people or tasks. The key for me is that I have to look at time as a tool in my professional toolbox. There's time and the Bible. Those are my two most important tools. And my ability to effectively use my time directly affects my performance. It affects the quality of my life and my sense of enjoyment. When I use my time well, everybody wins. Everybody wins. The church wins. My family wins. Everybody wins. If I don't use my time well, then everybody suffers. And I bet that's true for you, too. When you use your time well, everybody around you wins. You win, your friends win, your co-workers win, your family wins, your faith wins, your church wins. When you use your time wisely, there is time to do everything God wants you to do. But here are some uncomfortable truths about time. First of all, everybody has exactly the same amount of time. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, how old or young you are, where you live, or what kind of profession you have. Time is equal all over the planet. We all have exactly the same amount of time. Each week, we all start with exactly the same 168 hours. No more or no less. It's what we do with that time that's different. And some people can be incredibly productive and effective with their 168 hours, and other people accomplish absolutely nothing except maybe complaining about how little time they have. It is a myth to think that some people have more time than others. We all have exactly the same amount of time. It's how we fill those hours that's completely up to us. And second, time is inelastic. You can't stretch it. You can't bend it. You can't make it go faster or slower unless maybe you're Albert Einstein. Uh, Time is incredibly neutral. It doesn't hate you. It doesn't love you. It just is. It's not against you, and it's not for you. It just is. Time is absolutely neutral. It only measures the sequences of your life. And third... If you don't manage your time, somebody else will. If you don't manage your time, somebody else will. 
if you don't bring some of your best energy to looking at your time, it will be absorbed by other people who will dominate your time. Not necessarily maliciously, but if you don't take control of your time, if you don't give people limits on your time, they'll take over your life out of their own need to talk or to control. Your friends will dominate your time. Your boss will dominate your time. Your kids will dominate your time. Your parents will dominate your time. Think about it. If you're not managing your time, who is? So time management is really self-management. And what you do with your time is a spiritual issue. We're all creatures of habit. And so many of our struggles have to do with the habits that we've developed over the years. We fall into these routines, these patterns, ways that we normally do things. And some of those patterns or habits are helpful and good, and some of those habits are the very reason why we're so stressed out all the time. God can help us change the patterns and the habits we live by. Self-management is about self-discipline, and that's another word that we don't really like to hear, discipline. But self-discipline is a part of discipleship. 2 Timothy 1-7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I think that's Mike Flavin's favorite verse. It's one of those uncomfortable Bible passages because it takes something so mystical and ethereal, the spiritual life, and brings it down to earth. Personal discipline. In Greek, it's the word gymnasium. It's a word from the world of athletics, training. Like an athlete, training for life, discipline for life. Yes, we are saved by grace, but our daily growth has a lot to do with the personal discipline we exercise that allows God's Spirit to work within us. Personal discipline is a big part of discipleship. If your life feels scattered and disorganized, you may need to look at this more seriously as a spiritual issue. Living a disorganized life, it saps you of your energy and usually leaves you feeling kind of lousy about everything because nothing seems to work very well. Self-discipline means you have to invest energy and, and thought and willpower into being organized and living purposefully. It doesn't happen by accident. So let me make this very practical. And I want to give you three disciplines that can make a diff- big difference in how you manage your time. The discipline of saying no, the discipline of margin, and the discipline of getting it done. The discipline of saying no. There are so many wonderful, good things to do in our world. You may want to do all of them, but at some point, all those wonderful things will swamp your boat if you don't learn the discipline of saying no. We are overwhelmed with choices in our culture. Even good choices, not to mention the bad things we could fall into. I mean, you could play five different sports or join 15 different clubs or try to attend 20 different events. That's how we drive ourselves crazy, by overcommitting. Whoever said, you know, you can do it all, they were lying. You can't do it all. There are so many good things, but the good is often the enemy of what's best for you. You can't do it all. You have to have a way to filter out all the good stuff so that you have time to do what's really best for you and for your family and for your Lord. And that simply means having priorities. You have to decide what is really important to you. 
If you don't, you will always be living by the daily pressures and not by the sense of your priorities. You have to know what's important to you and begin to really put first things first. By knowing what you value, what God has placed in your heart, what's important, what's first for you, then you can develop the discipline of saying no. Saying no to things that aren't really that important to you. Saying no to things that won't take you where God wants you to go. Saying no to things that might prevent you from really experiencing the important, the best things that God has for you. In my prayer journal, I have written the best line from Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it's this. It's easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning inside. It is easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning inside. You're not saying no just because you're some lazy slacker, but because you're focused in on what God really wants you to do. You get clarity about what you want to say yes to, and you live for that. When you know what's first in your life, it's easy to say no to all the other stuff. Sure, you'll disappoint some people. They'll get over it. The only exception to this rule is you can't say no to Christine Vogley when she calls you to do something in children's ministry. I don't care who you are. You have to say yes to Christine. She'll pay me later for that. No, seriously, you have to get honest with God. In prayer, you've got to ask him to help you sort out what is your greater yes. What is your life really all about? What is your most important calling? What are your priorities? What are your most important relationships in your life? What does he want you to invest yourself in? Your energy, your skill, your time. It is easy to say no when you've got that greater yes. But if you don't know what that greater yes is, you won't be able to say no to anything. It brings such a great sense of freedom in your life because you don't have to try and do everything. You have the discipline of saying no. Second, there's the discipline of margin. This is so simple. But following this discipline will make your life so much less stressful. The reason we're all stressed out is that we push everything so close to the edge. You know, in your bank account, you have to leave a little bit in there that you don't ever touch because if you run out, you have to pay a big penalty. I know that's never happened to anybody here. That's margin. You've got to leave a little margin in that account, right? Well, that's true with your time as well. We pack everything so close together that there's no margin for error. There's no cushion, so you're 30 minutes late to your appointment because you're 20 minutes late getting off the parkway because you forgot you needed gas and then there was construction down, narrowed everything down to one lane. We pack our days so full that we don't allow for any margin of error. And yet delays and unexpected things happen all the time. But no wonder we're frazzled by the end of the day. It's so simple. Build some margin into your day. Expect that there will be delays. They happen all the time. You shouldn't be surprised. What I want you to do this week is I want you to give yourself the gift of five minutes. Give yourself the gift of five minutes. You don't have to do Vince Lombardi time, 15 minutes. But give yourself the gift of five minutes. If you struggle with being late, with being ready, with the sense of always feeling behind, give yourself the gift of five minutes. Get up five minutes earlier every day for a week. 
Just see how that might change how the rest of your day goes. Leave the house five minutes earlier. Plan on being places five minutes ahead of time. That way the tension in your life will drop considerably. Because when the delays happen, as they always do, you've built in some cushion. There's some margin in your schedule. You'll arrive calmer. You won't be so frustrated. You'll be able to bring your best self to what you're doing. Give yourself that gift of five minutes. I have to say that, unfortunately, I see this so much on Sunday mornings as people are coming to church. Each week, people are late for the start of worship. And I feel badly for them. They're rushing into God's presence, kind of flustered, trying to find a seat. Sometimes we're halfway through the service and people are still coming in. Now, I'm glad people are coming no matter what time they arrive. Don't get me wrong. But that can't feel very good. That can't be what God really wants for you. You can't get the most out of your worship when you're coming in all flustered. You can't bring out your best self to worship, and you can't receive God's best from worship when you do it that way. You know, our worship services are designed to give you some quiet moments of preparation before the services begin, some meditative music so that you can kind of let go of the stresses of the week and move into God's presence through, you know, through worship and through music and scripture and prayer and the word of God. We need that time to decompress before we enter into worship. You can't have that when you arrive a quarter of the way in. You've got no margin, no time to prepare your heart. I know parking is a problem. It's a problem every single Sunday. It's a problem when it rains. It's even more of a problem. It's not a surprise. If people are new to church, I can understand why they might be late, but most of us are not new. We're coming to worship the Lord, and it's like gulping down a fast food meal rather than savoring His presence. Give yourself the gift of five minutes. And finally, there's a discipline of getting it done. It feels good to spend time on things that we value, and we should try to reduce the the less necessary things of life. But, you know, you can't eliminate them altogether. There are mundane things that we still have to do. Take out the trash, do the laundry, cut the grass, that that monthly report that's got to be done. Whatever it might be, we can never get out from under doing things that seem like a waste of time. It's not the fun stuff. It's the stuff where maybe we don't feel very confident. There are things that we do that we don't like to do. So we tend to avoid those things. We procrastinate and push them off until suddenly they're overcomplicating our life because all of a sudden they've got to get done in a hurry. We need the discipline of just getting it done. For me, I have a yearly battle with my taxes. I just don't like to do my taxes because I'm considered self-employed, which means I have to pay all my own taxes. I've got to write the check. So on April 15th, I always have to write a pretty big check, and I just hate to do it. If everybody had to write that check rather than the less painful way of seeing, you know, your, your taxes automatically deducted from your paycheck, you know, there would be a revolt, I think. But by delaying, I add stress to my life. I need the discipline of just getting it done. And there are areas in your life where you need that discipline too. The best thing to do is just face it head on and reward yourself in some simple positive way when you finish. 
then you can move on to the things that you enjoy more. Time is your tool, so use it wisely. There are seasons of life. The time of a parent of toddlers is different from the time of a college student or a retired person or a single adult. There are seasons, but we all have the same tool, and balance comes within. So learn the discipline of saying no so that you can follow God's yeses in your life. Give yourself the gift of margin, that five minutes. Develop the discipline of getting it done. Time is your tool, so use it for God's glory. Use it to make your life better. Release some of that pressure that's on you. This week I want you to pray about your time and maybe meditate on the passage that's at the end of that section in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. I know the best thing that we can do is to always enjoy life because God's gift to us is the happiness we get from our food, our drink, and from the work that we do. Meditate on your time. Let's pray together. Lord, our times, our seasons are in your hands. It says in Scripture to redeem the time. It really means to make it as valuable as we can, to use it in the best way possible. Lord, help us to kind of look at the disorganized threads of our lives and somehow weave them together into a coherent life, a life that brings you glory and a life that brings us joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.